Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, I preview day five of the 2024 Australian Open. It's the back half of second round play in both the men's and women's singles draws. And thus, we have been dealt another fantastic schedule of matches for all of us tennis fans to enjoy. On today's show, I want to make maneuvering that schedule a little bit easier for all of you fans tuning in. As always on these preview podcasts, I want to point you to my must-watch matches on the day. You've got 32 singles matches on the calendar, and most of you listeners, you've got jobs, you've got families, you've got school obligations. Also, I imagine a lot of you listeners are based here in the United States like I am. Thus, these matches are happening very late at night. It's going to be darn right impossible for you to follow everything. Thus, on this show, I want to make clear what are are the matches you perhaps should stay up for? What are the matches you're going to need to go back and watch the highlights from to get a grasp of any given day on the calendar at this Australian Open? Or more broadly, what are the matches that are just going to feature really good tennis that I'm certain you all will enjoy? Those are the types of battles I break down on this show. There's so much good tennis across the board in Melbourne. I could point to any of our 32 singles matches and I think make a pretty convincing case for why you need to watch it. But certainly, these are the best of the best matches that I'm going to discuss, at least in my opinion, here on today's show. And I like to think I do a good job of blending in both the mainstream interests and then a few for the tennis nerds like myself out there as well. So another preview podcast for all of you listeners. We'll continue to have these for you at least till the start of the quarterfinals. After that, we may focus all of our content over on the mini break podcast feed and your reminder if you do miss out on any of the action throughout the course of any given day I recap it all each and every day over on the mini break podcast feed those podcasts available wherever you listen to your shows and soon will be available in video format on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel actually I think our first episode is going to be posted here on Wednesday so be on the lookout for that and more YouTube content to come including including our first broadcast of the 2024 college tennis season. We've got a doubleheader for all of you fans on Friday and Sunday. We've got the Oklahoma State men and women playing on Friday. Those matches happening back-to-back. The men first are going to take on Middle Tennessee. Then we've got a top 10 battle, I think even a top 5 battle by the latest ITA rankings. Michigan traveling to Oklahoma State to take on the Cowgirls. Again, it's second weekend of the college tennis season. We've already got a top 5 broadcast for all of you listeners. Oklahoma State, Michigan the nightcap on Friday. Again, that that's pre, uh, preceded, that's the word, by the Oklahoma State Middle Tennessee men's battle. Then on Sunday, again, top 10 teams for you everywhere. Oklahoma State going to take on a top 16 team in Ohio State. You also have the USC Trojans taking on a top 10 team in Texas. Both of those broadcasts, 1 p.m., 2 p.m. Eastern time, available separately on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. So if during the day you've already watched the highlights from the Australian Open and you 
still need your tennis fix fulfilled, come hang out with us on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as we kick off our coverage of the 2024 college tennis season. We will focus on that later, although I would point out, you look on this podcast feed, you see a recap of week one of the Division I Women's College Tennis World already available. A recap of week one for the men going to be available for all of you listeners tomorrow. We'll focus on that college content on those shows. We'll focus on recapping all the action again over on the mini break podcast feed. Here we talk about previewing each and every day of this 2024 Australian Open. So let's get back to doing that. Here are my must-watch matches on a 32 singles match day five at the 2024 Australian Open. Let's start on the women's side of things. Again, 16 singles matches to choose from. I could make a case for all of them. I tried to limit myself here. I have seven between my must-watch and for the nerds categories on the women's side. Let's obviously start with the must-watch matches. Number one for me is an upset alert. It's Daria Kasatkina versus Sloane Stephens. And look, Sloane Stephens always gets the added cachet, right? This is a former major champion who is not in the prime of her career anymore. I think the fact that Stevens has played 500 ball now for three consecutive seasons probably is an indication we're not going to get the consistent top 10 player that we got from Sloane Stevens, uh, the consistent top 10 level, excuse me, that we saw from Sloane Stevens at times early in her career. But look, the 30-year-old's still 38 in the live rankings, and I thought she played really good ball, struggled in the first 20 minutes of the match, but ultimately a 3-1 win over Gadeski in round number one, where she faced just one break point in the match. That ability to dictate so successfully, it's going to be so important for her, as in her round two battle, she'll take on 14th-seeded Daria Kasatkina. Kasatkina, of course, 26 years old. Uh, one in three in this career head-to-head against Sloane Stevens. Now, three of those matches have come on clay courts, and that's where Sloane's gotten her three victories, including in the 2018 Roland Garros quarterfinals, a straight-set win for Sloane. The one time these two faced off on hard courts might as well have been a clay court, as it happened at Indian Wells, Kasakina, a four-and-three victory then. Now, these two haven't played since 2021. And obviously, from a career trajectory standpoint, Sloane Stevens, I think it's safe to say, uh, safe to say, has been on more of a decline. Daria Kaskina has gotten back to playing her best ten- uh, tennis, has sustained a top 15 level now for about, what, 25, 26 months consecutively, made a final, albeit via withdrawal from Pagula, but still made a final just last week. It's going to be a fascinating matchup. You look for Daria Kasatkina since the start of 2022, which is when her resurgence back towards the top of the women's tennis rankings happened. She's 16-3 and at the majors when facing opponents ranked outside the top 20. Those losses, by the way, to Svitolina in a round of 16 at Roland Garros last year. No shame in that loss. The loss to Gracheva at the 2023 Australian Open first round. Loss to Harriet Dart three sets first round U.S. Open. So again, two of those three losses do happen at on hard courts, but she's been pretty good beating the players who don't have that combination of not just the aggressive, the aggressive and offensive game style you need to overwhelm someone as physical as successfully reactive and defensive skill set of Adari Kasakina, but you also have to not only have that power, you have to have the consistency to execute that power relentlessly. And obviously, uh, Peyton Stearns wasn't able to do that in round number one. Stearns falling in three sets to Kasakina. 
Look, this is a fascinating matchup between the 26-year-old and the 30-year-old. It's a massive opportunity for Sloane Stephens, who, with a win, would get herself back into the top 35 and, again, start knocking on the door of being seated at all the big events coming up. Indian Wells, Miami, obviously, as we move towards the French Open, where I think she's made at least the fourth round in all, but two or three times that she's played it. Like if she is seated there, she absolutely becomes that much more dangerous if she is going to have an advantageous draw. It's a massive moment for Sloane Stephens. Again, 3-1 in the career head-to-head, even though she's never beaten her on hard courts, even though a lot has changed since the last time they faced off against one another. Daria Kasatkina is going to give Sloane Stephens the one thing it feels like you can't. She's going to give Sloane Stephens time, uh, time to find her rhythm, time to change direction down the line. And look, for what it's worth, Sloane Stephens in her career, 6-12 and 12, uh, uh, at majors, on the hard courts against top 20 players. Now, I kind of chopped my way through that stat, so I'm going to try it again. She is 6-12 and 12 in hard court majors when facing top 20 players. Hasn't earned a victory against a top 20 player at a hard court major since the 2018 U.S. Open when she beat Elisa Mertens in the round of 16. I will say that's not too dissimilar of a matchup to the one she has here with Kasatkina. She's lost six consecutive against top 20 opponents at hard court majors. Now, one of those losses, Serena, 2020 U.S. Open. We'll throw that one aside. A loss to Sviantec, 2022 U.S. Open. Again, no shame in that game, but it's been a while for Sloane Stephens since she's pulled off a win like this at a hard court major. A massive opportunity to do so, again, of the top 20 seeds. Kasatkina at least is going to let you have opportunities to play on your terms in ways perhaps other more powerful top 20 players would not. It's going to be an athletic match. It's going to be physical. Every Daria Kasakina match is. How did I don't know how well I did in my predictions yesterday. I know ultimately Andriva did pull off the upset on Anz Jabur, but Anyways, here's the here's the point more broadly. I'm gonna pull the up. I'm gonna take the upset. I'm gonna take Sloane Stevens to pull off this victory, despite the fact Kasakina 69.5% favorite uh, over Sloane, according to the tennis abstract singles forecast. I'm gonna roll with Sloane in this one, but screams three sets, doesn't it? As you look at just again the physicality each of these players are able to bring on the court. That's match number one. Match number two. How about Sviantec versus Collins? That's a fun one. That's a former Australian Open semifinal. Obviously, a match won by Danielle Collins, 6-4, 6-1. That was really the last lost e- uh, loss Excuse me, Iga took before ascending to the world number one star that she has now been for 24 consecutive months. For what it's worth, Iga's 4-1 in the career head-to-head. Obviously, most notably, they played back-to-back in last year's North American 1,000-level events. Sviantec three-set win in what was a very t- uh, tightly contested match in Canada. Sviantec then 1-0 the next week when they faced off in the Cincinnati round of 32. It was a great three-set win from Collins in round number one to knock out Angie Kerber. Danielle Collins in her career, 6-15 against top 20 opponents at the majors overall. You filter that out for hardcore success specifically. Excuse me, Danielle Collins, 4-8 at hardcore majors against top 20 opponents. All four of those victories, for what it's worth, have come out the Australian Open, where she's made, obviously, runs to the semifinals in 2019, a run to the finals back in 2022. I mean, look, what does Danielle Collins have? Uh, Firepower, a shamelessness in the best sort of sense to go down swinging, to say, hey, look, I'm not going to let you yank me around the court. I'm going to take some big rips, and I'd rather make an unforced error than let you 
jerk me around throughout the course of this match. Now, again, on the Sviantec side of things, and it's not a shocking stat for her career, she's 278 and 67. It's an 81% win percentage. That's laughably excellent. She's 72 and 15 at the majors thus far in her career. 83% win percentage. Again, laughably excellent. Against players ranked outside the top 50, which for what it's worth, Danielle Collins is right now. Iga Sviantec, 46 and 2 at the majors. 46 and 2 at the majors against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She lost the Wimbledon quarterfinal last year to Svitolina. Honestly, that shouldn't count as an outside the top 50 loss. Svitolina was only there because she hadn't been playing as she was off on maternity leave. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like, that's another laughably excellent stat that you sort of look at as, I make my joke, still alive in the greatest of all time conversation, Iga Sviantek. She knows the matchup. She knows the firepower. Obviously, Sviantek pushed in round number one against Sonia Kennan, so she got a little calloused up as well. Now, Sviantek obviously enters this match on a 17-match win streak. She's won 34 for the last 36 sets. I think Sviantek gets through. I think Collins, again, is just shameless enough plenty confident enough. She's going to go down swinging. She'll get hot at some point for eight to 10 minutes in this match, make a push. I think Sviantec gets through in straights as she always does. But again, Danielle Collins has enough firepower to make that match fun. And Iga Sviantec is just much watch television for tennis fans everywhere. So I had to put that on the list. I expect Sviantec to get through. Tennis Abstract does as well. Iga Sviantec, 88.6% favorite to win this match, 35.4% favorite to win the event. That is the overall favorite in this tournament, despite the fact that, again, she does have Elena Rabakina, Yelena Ostapenko on her side. Tennis Abstract says, we don't care. We know how good Iga is. Shantek taking on Collins in round number two. My last two in the must-watch category, I must admit, a little bit funky, but hear me out. I love the Chin Wen versus Katie Bolter matchup because it's an excellent, and I'm going to use a term I've used a lot, litmus test to see the level of both players early in this season. Let's start on the underdog side of things, which Katie Bolter clearly is. Katie Bolter, according to Tennis Abstract, just a 20.7% chance of winning this match. It's probably based on the fact that she's 3-16 and 16 in her career against top 20 opponents. But of course, one of those three victories came this season when she knocked out Jessica Pagula in United Cup to start the year. Bolter, a sound straight-set victory uh, in her first-round match here in Australia over Yuan Yua, the 25-year-old from China, 26-year-old, excuse me, had come in off of a semifinal last week and is playing the best tennis of her career. She's ascended to the new career high, and it was the weapons of Bolter, her ability to hold the baseline, her ability to move the ball from that position on the baseline to both wings, hit through a court, cross-court, redirect, and go down the line. It's a solid offensive package of weapons that Bolter uh, employs on the court. She can make you uncomfortable. She is not as dynamic of an athlete as Chin Wen. She is not as powerful of an athlete as Chin Wen. The ball comes off of the racket of Chin Wen with more action on it, more topspin, more pace, all these different things. Again, that word dynamic comes to mind. She's just a more springy player than Katie Bolter is. And yet again, the ebbs and flows in Chin Wen's level, they become apparent. And I think Ashlyn Kruger certainly put some pressure on her to draw out those ebbs and flows in Chin Wen's round one victory over the young American in three sets. Chin Wen also double-digit double faults, made less than 50% of her first serves in the match. It was a sloppy performance that she got through. Going to have to clean it up against Katie Bolter, who is just a more consistent 
I'll be a slightly less powerful version of Ashlyn Kruger right now. It's a great test for Katie Bolter. Again, how real is this level we've seen from her to start the season? She's currently at a career-high 48 in the live rankings is the 27-year-old. It's the first career head-to-head between the two. For what it's worth, Chin Wen 13-2 in her career against players ranked outside of the top 50 at the majors. Now, again, Bolter was outside the top 50 starting at this event, uh, so that's what Tennis Abstract sees her as. She's obviously been playing a top 50 level. Chin Wen 5-6 against top 50 opponents at the majors in her career. So, again, which Chin Wen do we get? Can Katie Bolter sustain her level? I think Bolter has the sort of firepower to pressure Chin Wen, whether it's holding the baseline, if Chin Wen's hitting high kick serve, second serves that I think will go shoulder level for the taller Bolter, and she'll be able to drive through it, uh, dare I say, with some success. At the same time, that ball could also overwhelm Bolter. When Chin Wen's at her best, that high and heavy into the corners is just going to get Bolter stretched in a way she isn't comfortable being. I think Chin Wen gets through this match. Again, it's an excellent test. How high is the level for either player? Let's find out. Uh, fun second-round battle. Chin Wen, the favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, 79.3%. And then last but not least, this one's a little bit of a shot in the dark. This one's a little bit clouded by personal preferences. I'm not going to lie. Again, I had Vika as one of my top eight contenders. And uh, my definitive list, I keep saying top eight instead of top ten because uh, top eight for me, was where there was a pretty clear cutoff before then you could get start making an argument that sounds the same for a group of like 15 different players, including a Barbara Krachikova, who's looked really good through her first, uh, after round number two, and I think we got the best version of her here in Melbourne. That's always a scary thing, but certainly felt like we were getting the best version of Vika after her successful week one of the season, making a semifinal in Brisbane. After she took that first set pretty comfortably over Camilla Georgie in round one, you thought, all right, we got the Vika we wanted. And then, of course, she got pushed to three sets. Now, Vika ultimately able to get through that Georgie test and I think looks pretty good in doing so. But she's going to face more firepower in round number two. She's going to take on the talented young Dane, Clara Tossin. Tossin, a straight set win in round number one. Huge for the 21-year-old as it consolidates her top 100 position. She's back up to 89 in the rankings. Of course, we've seen Tossin ranked as high as number 33. And a lot of health injuries, and uh, health issues, and a bunch of different things have kept her off the court, or at least prevented her from playing her best win on the court of late. That said, these two have faced off Azarenka, 5-4 and four victory at the 2021 French Open. Victoria Azarenka, 97-9 in her career at the majors when playing opponents ranked outside the top 50. That's a ridiculous stat. She's 56-2 and two on hard courts when playing an opponent ranked outside the top 50. And by the way, those two losses have come of late or relatively of late relative to her career. She lost Jessica Pagula February 2021. That was right before Pagula's ascension to the top 10 began. So I don't even know if that should count. Then a tight three set loss to Laura Siegemann, 2019 Australian Open first round, 56-2. and two. At hardcore slams against opponents ranked outside the top 50. That's a ridiculous run of success and obviously speaks to why she's a future Hall of Famer. She's defending quarterfinal points here this week. So there is a little bit of urgency for Azarenka, who's currently sitting at number 33 in the rankings. Tossing her career 2-7 and seven against top 20 opponents, but obviously one of those wins happened here in Australia against Annette Conteve back in the second round of the 2022 Australian Open. She's moving better. Is it well enough to handle the barrage of firepower that's going to come across?
across from uh, come at her from across the net in Victoria Azarenka's racket. <sighs> I don't know. Like I, I don't think so. I think Vika gets through, but man, wouldn't that be something for Clara Tossin to get this sort of win to really be the launching pad as she tries to re-ascend back towards the top of the women's game and put herself on the list of talented young names. And look, you watch her strike a backhand, you have to put her on that list of names. She's got some real firepower, a real serve, again, real plus one arsenal to put some pressure on Victoria Azarenka. And yet, I'm going to double down on the level of Azarenka. I think she's playing really well. She's fresh. She's fit to start 2024. I'll take Azarenka to advance, but this one's going to be fun. A lot of firepower in that round two matchup. Of course, Tennis Abstract has Azarenka as the favorite, 68.5%. That's relatively uh, thin margins, again, given the experience delta uh, between the two. That said, those are my four must-watch matches on the women's side. Now, I do have a few, of course, for the nerds. I wouldn't be me if I didn't. Ostapenko versus Tomjanovic. Obviously, once upon a time, they faced off at a major. There was an exchange between the two after the handshake where neither was particularly pleased with either's decorum throughout the course of the match. The contrast in styles, the relentless firepower of Ostapenko, the grinded-out consistency and speed of Tomjanovic. Tomjanovic has the home crowd behind her as well. Obviously, Ostapenko, 75.3% favorite. She has the firepower advantage. She has the recent form advantage. I think she's won, what, like six consecutive matches now after her straight set win in round one. I think Ostapenko gets through. She was one of my top six, not just top eight, top six contenders. She was in tier two right next to Pagula, just behind the top four seeds in tier one in this event. I'll take Ostapenko. But that one's going to be fun. Again, just a spicy, competitive match, certainly. Has to be in the For the Nerds category. Linda Naskova, the 19-year-old, relentless firepower. Again, I think it's when, not if. She becomes a consistent top 25 player. Got the first round win over Boshkova. Can she follow it up against the sneaky, sneaky athleticism of McCartney Kessler? Kessler right now, the 24-year-old at a career high, 175. The former Florida Gator, All-American Earned her first win at a major in earning her first round victory and looked good in doing so. Again, she's going to be able to absorb strike number one from Naskova, dish out some pace as well. Now, Naskova should win and is certainly favored to do so, 79.6% according to Tennis Abstract. But I'm intrigued by that one. I'm intrigued by the Kessler follow-up. I want to watch more of her at this level because I do think she has the athleticism and some weapons to hang. And then Pagula versus Clara Burrell. People, you know, Clara Burrell is not a top-tier prospect in terms of firepower or some definitive characteristic that has her stand out amongst the crowd, but she's really solid at everything. Former top-five junior in the world, 22-year-old French woman, well-rounded. Again, it, she's going to test Jessica Pagula. I think Pagula gets through, certainly favored to do so. Jessica Pagula, 83.7% favorite, but that match going to be sneaky physical, and again, it looks like we're headed for a Pagula Chinwen round of 16 matchup pretty definitively, but I mean, again, Radicano, I guess, floating in that section, Bolter floating in that section. If Clara, if Pagula gets th through this Clara Burrell match, I'm very certain she's going to do her part. I'm just keeping an eye on that little quarter, or not quarter, 16th, eighth, eighth, that's the word, that little eighth of the draw. Anyways, Jessica Pagula. Looked much better than she did the first two weeks of the season in round number one here in Australia. Would like to see her sustain that level in what will be a trickier test than expected against Clara Burrell. Those are my seven matches to just keep an eye on seven of the 16. Very 
definitive list there, Alex. But the must-watches, Kasakina Stevens, Sviantek Collins, Chinwen Bolter, Azarenka Tossin, and then for the nerds, Ostapenko Tamjanovic, Naskova Kessler, and Jessica Pagula versus Clara Burrell. That's my assessment of the women's side on day five. On the men's side, I actually think this is probably the better slate of matches. I would lean more towards the men's highlights than the women's on this day. I think the... Even days moving forward, you'll probably lean more towards the women's side, the odd days. Well, actually, that's not true because this is a Sviantek section of the draw, and that's going to get really fun as we advance. Anyways, it's just one of those days where I think it's a really good slate of men's singles matches. I have five on the must-watch list, four for the nerds. So of 16 matches, I had nine. I felt like I was compelled to bring to all of your listeners' attention. The ones I want to take a little bit more depth on, obviously, the rematch that we all looked forward to the moment the draw came out. 14th-seeded Tommy Paul taking on 22-year-old unseeded Jack Draper. Draper 2-0, not just 1-0, 2-0 in the career head-to-head against Paul. Both those matchups coming in Australia. Draper a 4-4 win when they played in Adelaide last season, a 1-4 win when they played in Adelaide last week. Draper had a physical five-set victory in round number one, a victory that obviously saw him get sick in a trash can immediately following the handshake. The 22-year-old has had some physical issues. He's obviously had a full 24 hours to recover, had all of Wednesday off as he prepares for this Thursday in Australia matchup. I think he'll be okay from that standpoint. Again, it's early in the season. I expect him to bounce back. But Tommy Paul is going to be much more prepared for this challenge. And going back and watching the film from that Adelaide match uh, last week, I've never seen Jack Draper hit his on-the-run forehand as well as he did against Tommy. He just had Tommy frozen because Jack was landing that on-the-run down-the-line forehand as well as it could be hit. And there were times when Tommy went into that belly of the beast. He continued to challenge it as he pushed forward because, as I have alluded to in the past when discussing Jack Draper, Jack Draper is really consistent on his backhand wing. Jack Draper is not going to give you a loose error. The harder that ball comes into his backhand, the more depth and pace it has coming right back at you. He redirects that ball down the line well, even though, again, it's a shorter, condensed backswing. The forehand's the side that, yes, can be a little bit more lethal, but I think it is the side you want to attack with pace because he'll give you more free points, more errors off of that wing. And yet he was just hitting it at an elite level against Tommy in their matchup last week. He was serving at an elite level in that matchup as well. Jack played a perfect match. Like, there was nothing I thought Tommy Paul could do about it. Now, you look for Tommy last year on hard courts, 28-16 and 16 overall. He went 15-6 and six against opponents ranked outside the top 50, 13-10 against opponents ranked inside the top 50. Jack Draper, while ranked outside the top 50 to start this event, certainly a top 50 opponent in caliber of tennis played, maybe even a top 20 opponent in terms of caliber of tennis he's playing to start this season. Tommy's forehand got a little leaky, I guess, in their matchup last week, but Tommy has played exceptional ball to start this year, and two of his uh, three matches he's played, he looked just at a different level than his opponent, including round one here in Melbourne, straight set win over Gregoire Beret, where he was unchallenged throughout the course of that match. Obviously, very different circumstances than what Jack Draper faced in round number one against Marcos Giron. According to Tennis Abstract, and this isn't shocking given the 2-0 head-to-head and relative success of Draper of late, but Draper's the favorite, 54.6% according to Tennis Abstract. I haven't looked at the betting markets. It's probably 50-50 
between the two. You can make a case for Jack. I mean, you've just seen the Jack Draper win. That's why it's probably easier to make that case. He was able to keep Tommy honest. He was able to pressure Tommy with his serving locations, serving to the forehand well to generate the chip return from Tommy. Then, of course, unloading the plus one forehand, all sorts of different locations. Tommy's going to have to play more aggressive. He's going to have to assert himself earlier in that match. Obviously, he gets he gets to be hungry. He gets to chase, even though he's the seeded player. This is a guy who just beat him the week before, and it is really hard to beat a player two times within the span of back-to-back events. I'm going to take Tommy in four, just because Draper's coming off of that five-set physical showdown with Giron, because Draper made that final last week, and I just think, again, he's going to need a, a full five hours to get through this battle. I just think Tommy's going to be the fresher of the two, and I think that's the only thing that separates them in the end. Again, that's how close I think this match is competitively to elite athletes who can do a little bit of everything on the court. Draper's weapons a little bit bigger. Tommy probably a little bit more fluid, a little quicker. Although, man, again, Jack Draper does not lack in that category. It's going to be a really good match. Buckle the seatbelts. That's probably your best men's match of the day. But you got a couple other matches that can make arguments as well as you look. Uh, Again, by the way, I mentioned those Tommy Paul stats. Jack Draper, 8-12 in his career against the top 20 already. It's honestly pretty good considering he hasn't played that many career tour-level matches thus far already. Eight top 20 wins. Obviously, again, has beaten Tommy Paul twice as well. But I'm really looking forward to Medvedev Rusevori. Now, Medvedev's 2-0 in that career head-to-head. Medvedev also an 86.9% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. But keep in mind, Rusevori, a final to start his season in Hong Kong. Yes, he got knocked out by Rublev in that final. But uh, that week, Rusevori wins over Karen Hatchinov, Pavel Kotov, Sebastian Ofner. He gets a four-set win where he was the aggressor from the start against Patrick Kipson, and that's the key thing here. I know he has two straight set losses to Daniil Medvedev. When they played on hard courts, it was the slowest possible hard court in Astana at the end of 2022, a 3-2 win for Medvedev. Medvedev's serve is going to be a problem for Emil Rusevori, for sure, and Medvedev will get Rusevori yanked in the outer thirds where he has improved as a mover. He's not a bad mover, but he's not an elite mover either. At the same time, if Medvedev starts to play around with the food, if Medvedev's in the 12 feet behind the baseline court position and giving Rusevori clean looks on the forehand wing, particularly Rusevori loves to hit the inside out, inside out, inside in forehand combo so well. He's found the backhand line really well to start this season, which is a shot you have to have to keep Medvedev honest, to keep him from cheating over. Rusevori's got real weapons. Like, he has... I don't want to say clear-cut more firepower from the baseline, but certainly equal firepower at the least to Daniil Medvedev. And with how well he's been hitting his forehand, I'm telling you, he is going to have opportunities to dictate in this match. It is going to be closer than the lopsided straight set results we've seen thus far. Medvedev's serve is going to make him uncomfortable. Medvedev's certainly going to have some success going inside out with his own forehand, finding that Rusevori backhand and jamming him because Rusevori's backhand can be played a little bit close to the body. Obviously, the Medvedev serve, again, going to have opportunities to play plus one. And when you can get Rusevori on the defensive, he is just a completely different player than when he's on his front foot. 
That said, again, Rusevori will have opportunities to be on his front foot. All he needs is one look at a forehand, and now all of a sudden he's back in the match. I've said it before. He, you know, Coke is to Diet Coke as Yannick Sinner is to Emil Rusevori. I see some serious similarities with how they both snap through the forehand in particular from the baseline. Medvedev is going to get through. But this match is far closer than an 86.9% favorite that Medvedev's listed at in Tennis Abstract. Now, again, I've been a longtime stockholder in Emil Rusevori. Uh, you look for the Finn. Not a ton of success against top 20, top 10 players throughout the course of his career. You look overall for Rusevori. 5-8 and eight against the top 20 in his last 52 weeks. 11-24 and 24 against the top 20 overall. 4-14 four against the top 10 for what it's worth. Three of those four wins against top 10 opponents coming on hard court. So buckle the seatbelts again. Medvedev's always going to put you through a little bit of a whirlwind. He's always going to make a match more physical than perhaps you'd expect and lengthen the duration of that. Now, that's actually, sometimes Medvedev just works you. I just don't think he's going to have the opportunity to do that against Rusevori. Rusevori has real weapons to push back. I'm excited for that one. Uh, that's got to be one of my must-watch matches of the day, despite the fact that Neil Medvedev, 39-6 and in his career at hardcourt major events against opponents ranked outside the top 20. And here's the craziest fact behind that. He lost four of his first five. So he's 38-2 and two against opponents ranked outside the top 20 in hardcourt majors since the start of the 2018 U.S. Open. 38-2. and two. By the way, his two losses, Nick Kyrgios, 2022 U.S. Open at the time, was playing like a top 10 player fresh off that Wimbledon final and Sebi Korda at last year's Australian Open, where Sebi Korda looked like one of the 10 best players in the world. So even those two losses are to players who were seeded 23rd and 29th, respectively. Here's the thing. You have to be able to sustain elite tennis to beat Daniil Medvedev on a hard court. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Can Rusevori do it long enough? I need to see it to believe it. He will have 30 minutes in this match of being the aggressor, of not even playing Medvedev evenly, but it wouldn't shock me if there's a 4-2 lead for an Emil Rusevori at some point in multiple sets. Again, Medvedev sometimes likes to play with his food. Rusevori's going to hang around. I think Medvedev ultimately gets through in another four-set victory to keep things, uh, to get his season started again. Rusevori, 8-10 against the top 20 against hard courts in his career, uh, 3-10 and uh, against the top 10 on hard courts in his career. So some fun facts for all of you listeners about match number two in the must-watch category on the men's side. Last three for you. Talon Greekspor, 28th seed. Things don't get easier for him. He got Roman Safulin, who in my opinion is playing like a top 25 player, and by the way, was up two sets to love on Greekspor in their round one match before Greekspor grinds his way back. Up next, just a date with one of the fastest rising players we have on the ATP Tour, 19-year-old Arthur Fee, who, of course, enters this match fresh off a fourth-set victory and at a new career-high 34 in the live rankings. Now, Fee, 7-12 in his career against top 50 opponents, 1-0 in his career against Talon Griegspor, whom he beat 7-5 in the fifth set in their first-round encounter at the U.S. Open last season. If that doesn't tell you why this match has to be on the list, nothing will. Now, for what it's worth, Greek Spore one in four against 21 and under players in ATP Tour matches. His losses twice to Alcaraz, once to Fee, once to Brandon Nakashima uh, at Roland Garros back in 2022. I mean, again, this is going to be good tennis. Greek Spore's pretty good at everything. Arthur Fee, pretty good at everything. 
both of these guys sneaky. I mean, Arthur Fee's not sneaky quick. He's just an elite athlete. Talon Griegspoor is sneaky quick, sneaky springy. Like, he does not lack in athleticism, lack in power very frequently compared to his opponents. Obviously, Arthur Fee might be one of those rare exceptions. It's a fun moment, a massive opportunity, obviously, for Arthur Fee, who's never made a second week at a major in his career. That's something missing from his resume. You know, this time last year, he was playing challengers, winning challengers, but playing at the challenger level. He wasn't in the Australian Open main draw. Now he's got a shot at a third round. He can get through his seed. If he gets through, Talon Griegspor would set up a really fun date with one of his peers and 20-year-old Holger Runa. And again, who doesn't love an X-Gen ATP 2.0 pecking order match to start a season? Griegspor, 52.1% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Again, coming off an extraordinarily physical come-from-behind two-sets-to-love victory. I'd lean fee just because it's a narrative thing. Like, I just think he's going to have a breakout year, and this is the sort of when you get on your way to ascending towards a top 20, top 15 sort of status, which I just I think his ceiling is already there this season. The Griegspor forehand will give Arthur Fee some troubles. Like, the, the pace of that forehand, how aggressive Griegspor is in finding that forehand. Forehand to forehand, again, Arthur Fee, that backswing can get a little bit big, and on a quicker surface, that ball can spray on him. Backhand to backhand is fascinating. Again, both guy can, guys can employ the slice comfortably. Both guys comfortable volleyers. Both guys more pop than you would expect. Certainly from Griegspor on the first serve. I would argue he's got the more consistent first serve, plus one arsenal. It's going to be a really good match. I'm going to take Fee in a tight four. Just think Griegspor runs out of gas, but buckle the seatbelts. That's a really good match. And then the last two, again, I think are here by obligation. If Carlos Alcarez is playing, he has to be on the must-watch list. He's got Lorenzo Sinego. He's a 93.3% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, for what it's worth now. You know, again, you look at the record for uh, Alcaraz in his career. He's 18-1. and one at the majors against opponents ranked outside the top 20 on hard courts. He beats who he's supposed to. This guy is 230 and 62, 79% win percentage lower than Iga Svantec's. For those of you curious, and I do think these two are going to be measured against one another for quite some time because they're going to be leading their peer groups, perhaps for the next decade. Anyways, Elkares has all this success, right? He's 0-1 against Lorenzo Sinego. Sinego beating Alcaraz. Now, this was years ago, 2021 Cincinnati Masters, but Sinego, a 3-6 and six win in that matchup against Alcaraz. Sinego's a PTP. Like, again, does he have this ridiculous resume of top 20 success? No, he doesn't. He's 7-18, and 7-18 overall on hard courts in his career against top 20 opponents. You want to take it to a top 10 number? He's 3-12 and 12 overall against top 10 opponents on hard courts. His win, a win over Felix in Dubai to start last season. Hercots, September 2022 indoors. Then a win over Djokovic, Vienna uh, hard courts back in 2020. He's never had, a hard, obviously, a top 10 victory at the majors. You look for him in terms of top 20 victories at the majors overall in his career. 1-8 um, overall. He got a win over Andre Rublev at Roland Garros last year. That's his only top 20 victory, and that one counts as a top 10 as well. I'm just excited. Again, Sinego's springy. Like, there's a little bit of je ne sais quoi. That's not the right term, but there's some some chutzpah, some gusto uh, to his performance, the energy he brings on court. It's just going to be a fun-loving match. Two guys who always have smiles on their faces, and there's going to be some firepower as well. Now, Alcaraz is going to Alcaraz. He always Alcarazes. Uh, I think he gets through in straight sets, but 
there's going to be some fun shot making from that one. I expect to see some highlights across tennis Twitter throughout the course of their battle. And again, it would be a first career victory uh, for Alcaraz over Sinego. So perhaps a little extra motivation there. And then last but not least, how about a little serve bot plus one tennis for all of you guys. Hoopy Hercots taking on Jakob Menchik. Now again, the 18-year-old Menchik's had a lot of success at the challenger level of late. Still doesn't have the biggest resume of top 100 matches for us to turn to. He's just played eight top 100 opponents in his career. He's four and four overall against the top 100 Obviously, should have a victory over Denis Shapovalov count, although I don't really know if Shapovalov is playing top 100 tennis right now. Menchik, a straight set victory, unbroken on serve in round one over Shapovalov. Hercots looked pretty good in his straight set round one number uh, round number one victory as well. Hercots for his career, 10-8 and eight against opponents ranked outside the, the top 20 who are under the age of 21. I'll tell you what, the list of names who have beaten him, young FAA, young Tiafo, young Musetti, young Demon Hour, not the worst names for Jakob Menchip to, uh, to try, a list of names for him to try and put himself with. The thing that, that makes this match so interesting is Menchik does have some serious weapons to pressure Hercots with, and even in his best days, Hercots is still never the best at the return of serve. Menchik asserts himself with his plus one aggression with his court positioning. He's always inside that baseline, always looking to sneak forward. Again, if Hubi floats any sort of forehands, Menchik is going to try and explode through it. Hercots is just better at the plus one relentless aggression game style than Menchik is right now, so he should win this match. But talk about an excellent test for Jakob Menchik, and for those who haven't seen the 18-year-old play yet, I think this is the time to make sure you take the opportunity to do so. I think Hercots gets through. I'm very much looking forward to watching his battle with Jakob Menchik, though. That's my last on the must-watch list. And then, last but certainly not least, for the nerds, we'll rapid-fire through these ones. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov taking on Tanasi Kokonakis. Again, how much gas does Kokonakis really have left in the tank? I think that's an open question and a fair question uh, to ask. Coming off of his five-set marathon victory for Kokonakis uh, over... Sebastian Ofner, that's who it was, in round number one. Dimitrov had to grind his way to a four-set win over Fucevic in round one as well, but I just think he will be a little bit fresher. That match played a little bit earlier in the day. Dimitrov, an 87% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Here's the thing, though. Kokonakis in front of the Melbourne crowd. Special things happen, as we saw in round number one. So Kokonakis competing in Australia is always a must-watch for me in the further nerds category because just... Some special things happen. He plays his best tennis, and when his serve forehand are rolling, it's really fun to watch. So that's in this category. More power tennis in this category. A couple of youngsters, 22-year-old Yuri Lachetchka, 77.6% favorite according to Tennis Abstract, taking on 19-year-old American Alex Mickelson. Was a big round one win for Mickelson to just continue to consolidate his top 100 position. Lachetchka obviously defending quarterfinal points here this year, so every match matters as he tries to continue to make a top 20 push. Mickelson has real weapons to pressure Lachetchka with. Lachetchka, the far more dynamic athlete, I think will be able to have plenty of plus one success on his own, get Mickelson stretched with the heaviness, the depth uh, of his ground strokes. I think Lachetchka gets through this comfortably. And again, this is another check for Mickelson to say, all right, I've, I can strike balls with these guys, match their aggression. It's the movement where I just need to continue to develop. That said, man, if Mickelson can get through this one, 
I got to reevaluate some things in the immediate future. Struve versus Kesmenovic, 24th seeded Struve taking on Miamir Kesmenovic. Struve, uh, according to Tennis Abstract, 55.6% favorite. Um, look, it's just a fun contrast of styles. And again, I think this is a make-or-break season for Kesmenovic in terms of me thinking he's got top 25 upside moving forward. A guy who can do a lot of things well. What does he do exceptionally? Can he answer the test here? Very winnable match. Again, obviously, Struve's got a lot of points to defend coming up. Two guys in an interesting spot in their career, so I put that one in that category. And then, again, Zhang Zhen might just beat Ugo Umber. Umber an 82.5% favorite. I don't know how healthy the 21 seed is entering this match. Obviously, gets a four-set win in round number one. Zhang a straight-set win, albeit a tightly contested one in round number one. couple of breakers going his way. He's got some real firepower. Again, you're not going to get the longest points in that match. You're going to get some serious ball striking. Good uh, test to see just how healthy Ugo Umber is to start this season. If he gets through this one, you certainly are feeling a little bit more confident about his level, his relative health moving forward. That's the list, though. That's what? 7 plus 9, 16 of the 32 matches I have my eyes on. Obviously, there are 16 more fantastic battles that will unfold on day number 5, and we will recap them all over on the Mini Break podcast feed tomorrow. In the meantime, again, make sure you're checking out all of our uh, our content, whether it's this podcast, the Mini Break podcast feed, Cracked Interviews, or our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed. And if you don't mind, go leave us a five-star rating. Go leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts as well. Always enjoy hearing what you listeners have to say. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to the man behind the scene who makes all of our content possible, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who, as always, has a f*** of an editing job to do day in, day out. A shout-out, and thank you to him. A shout-out as well uh, to all of you listeners for continuing to trust us to keep you up to date with everything happening in Australia. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great job, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 